hopefully the video looks good too because we both put in way too much effort for this not to be seen by other people well my video is always a little rough but i turned the lights off because i have like a whole slew of candles over here like Uh i'm trying to recreate the craft or something but um i forgot that my uh ring light is actually on a tripod so it's not on my like coffee table anymore it's actually on the floor so i still get ring light effect without like having to monopolize like table space which is phenomenal it's also not blinding me because uh peek behind the curtain i ordered pizza because when i got off work i was hungry and i did not feel like making anything and i turned on my ring light to like use as a light source and i completely blinded myself oh no like when it's right there and you're like like, "Ah!" (laughs) start blinking yes um but yeah happy uh not quite Sawin. Not quite. But it's also not quite Halloween. Yeah. We're going to be posting. I think we're posting this Halloween or we're posting it tonight. I don't know. I think we had agreed that we'd post it on Halloween. Yeah. Okay. okay. Halloween it is. So, yes, we're doing the day before. It's not exactly on Halloween itself, but that's for planning reasons. Right. Like, um, time is a myth right now. And, um, I don't know if uh, if any Americans listening are aware. It's kind of a uh, it's kind of scary outside. So, you know, appropriate to do this now. As I inelegantly lick lipstick off my teeth. I'm sitting here going, "She's licking, but but why?" And then I'm like, "Oh, because these are on." Yeah, um, as I inelegantly lick lipstick off my teeth. So, for those of you wondering what the hell I'm doing, this is. Part of my sexy Mothman costume. I do have stockings on. I'll post a picture in a little bit. Most of you don't want to see me with stockings, but here we are. Um, yeah. And then tomorrow night I will wear actual pants because I don't want to scare the rest of my family. Um, I'm not entirely sure how I decided to do Ursula or why I decided to do Ursula. Um, apparently doing like villains has been like a trend for me for a while. So I don't know what Disney villain to do for next year um suggestions are very much welcome i've always loved ursula's aesthetic um because she's modeled after a drag queen she's modeled after divine right she is not very good she's modeled after divine look at you Uh, paid attention in your history classes i also watched that whole documentary on howard ashman so i mean okay there's also that um yeah i just i also it's a closet cosplay because uh yeah, I'm not I'm not putting in too much effort despite the copious amounts of eyeshadow that I have on. I love your eyeshadow right now. I've been it, like staring at it. It hurts my soul. It's so much. <laughs> and it's like and it's not a powder. It's actually like a paint and it's just like like I can feel my eyelid like creaking. It's this is this is not your normal aesthetic for sure. Absolutely not. Though the highlight kiss cheek very much is of a, a Severe red lip and a highlight gloss cheek, yes. A blue garage door, no. <laughs> so, because I am one of those weird people, and you pro- you saw this on Facebook, but I don't think anybody else did. I have mm. a problem. Mm. Obviously, I'm Scotch Irish. You probably mm. tell the fact that I have red hair and a lot of um, problems with authority. Mm-hmm. But 
this year I carved turnip. Problem is when I put the lid on it, it like burns it out real quick because it doesn't get enough oxygen. Oh, maybe it's not doing it. Oh, nope, there we go. It's dead now. But I posted this last night. I got really scared because my um, daughter's bio mom, so like I'm the stepmom, obviously for anybody who's listened to this for more than five if minutes. you rationalize this one more no, time. No, no rationalizing. The no minute laughing. we're together, the minute we're together again, I am hitting you with a broom. Her mom dropped her her stuff off, some of her stuff off last night, and I wasn't expecting her here, and I freaked out a little bit, and I was like, oh my god, are you okay? Because that's my first thing. Somebody knocks on the door at like 9.45 sure. at night. I assume somebody's died or something's happened. Of course. And so she's like, I'm fine. I'm dropping off stuff for, for B. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And I hear from the car, her boyfriend yell, that turnip is giving me nightmares. And I'm like, I'm dying. And she's like, turnip? What are you guys talking about? And so then she went home and looked at Facebook and she's like, I like the turnip. Does it have a name? It doesn't yet. I'm open to names. What's a good, what's a good Scottish name for a turnip? Um, I don't want to get in trouble with anyone. What's a good, what's a good Scottish name for a turnip? Call call him Argyle. Oh no. So tonight, welcome to our Halloween 2020 spectacular even though we're in separate homes technically clink clink um I have more in a bottle I'm very very proud of myself I saved this all week it's a Mm -hmm. sweet red Mm -hmm. um do you want to tell them what book we're covering we are covering um slightly against my will interview with a vampire (laughs) so we'll get into this a little bit we will I was obsessed with Anne Rice at 16 I'm so sorry you had bad yes. tastes. It didn't it didn't end. I've never read this, right? Mm-hmm. But I saw her and got her to sign. Like at a book signing or did you just like at a okay book like, cuz no. the way cuz the way you described that it sounded like a Bigfoot sighting. Like I saw her just like out in the woods or something and you thought and I saw it in the wild. Yeah. Like, you hunted her down, like, wait! Come to me! That's kind of what, that's what it sounded like at first, and it's like, oh, okay, like, at a book signing, you didn't just, like, stand outside of her house and caterwaul until she gave you attention. I mean, she doesn't live in New Orleans anymore, so I don't know where she lives in Palm Springs, so. We are very we're all We're all great people go to die, I guess. So, tonight, I've got Jam jar, sweet red wine. Yes. Yes. Lano sweet red wine. I do have Lano sweet red. It's like, so I remember the first time I drank Lano sweet red. It was like right after I turned 21. And I got like the drunkest I had been in a very long time. Because usually I can't drink a ton of red because of the tannins and the bitterness. But Lano sweet red tastes like Welch's grape juice so that's the danger of a sweet red is all of a sudden you're on the floor and you're like what happened i was just sitting upright it was great so i was a belligerent red wine drunk for a little while and it was great there's so much makeup on my body good lord Mm. i did my face and then like didn't touch anything else so Mm -hmm. i keep wanting to do this and just be like breathe 
but for the most part it's super comfortable it's like mm-hmm. it goes down to my upper thigh it's mm-hmm. just a sweatshirt mm-hmm. it was like bat costume and i'm like nah mothman costume <laughs> mothman I- who i think might be one of my favorite cryptids I mean, how could you not love Mothman? Like, I had a whole conversation with somebody earlier because I just, like, posted it right before we started recording mm-hmm. on um, one of my side Instagrams. And I was cracking up because this girl comes in and she's just like, I'm Mothman for Halloween, too! And we're both, like, screaming on the internet. And I go, we'll just be harbingers of candy instead of harbingers of doom. Like, I don't want to take any bridges out. Like, there's a bridge that looks a lot like the the Silver Bridge near where my parents live i would like that to last a very long time and not go down at christmas okay sure question where does mothman go like when he's not doing mothman stuff evidently chicago is that like his summer home i don't know so he was all over uh point pleasant west virginia in like late 60s early 70s yes 60s i was like what time frame i should know this and then we had a weird flap in the past few years in Chicago mm-hmm. where they're seeing something similar now near mm-hmm. the airport. And I was like, hi, do you want to come to Texas? All we've got really is Bigfoot, the donkey lady, and some chupacabras. We'd love to have you. We have, uh, we have like two goat men. Oh, the goat man of, of like up in, um, is it Denton? Yeah. So there's the goat man's bridge and there's the Lake Worth monster. Yeah, isn't the Lake Worth monster though? They they're pretty sure it was some kids. Um, so yes and no. I think any newer sightings are probably some kids, but like the earlier sightings, almost a hundred percent had to have been like some kind of creature, because it was like a Lake Worth was like a lover's lane, and like people are like, hey, there's this giant scary dude thing, who's threatening me and my partner like while we're trying to have sex in this car um and kids don't usually do that usually usually not like i'm gonna come and destroy your soul no one really knows what the motivation was for the lake worth monster outside of it just being weird um but yeah do you want to do you want to talk about um some anne rice unfortunately I'm going to say shameless plug as well. There's also yes. some Diet Coke in this, though I don't just drink straight wine for all night. If you would also like a coffee cup like this, they're on our Redbubble store. They are. Um, go ahead and start ordering now because I have a feeling that buying things for Christmas is not going to be easy. Thank you, pandemic. Um, to my side, I am also uh, rich with candy. Yes. I've seen a picture. I will post it. Um I don't know if I will get trick-or-treaters this year. I did not last year. But I will be prepared with mostly candy that I like. And that's the way to do it. I, you know what? I have one small gripe. So as someone who has a peanut allergy, you know, Halloween was always a little bit fraught for me because, you know, you never know what candy has nuts in it or not. So there was a package of, like, peanut-free candy at the Target at the Target and I was super excited but it was like all the old man candy it was like Tootsie Rolls and like Tootsie Roll Pops it's like just because I have a peanut allergy doesn't mean that I'm like a dying Caillou child you're like, some smarties have a great day right like 
I have a peanut allergy. I'm not infirmed. Like I'm not I'm not dying. Like I it blew so any candy manufacturers who I know are not listening to this podcast, please keep in mind that having a nut allergy is not an allergy to fun or an allergy to flavor. We can still have good ass candy, but just no peanuts or peanut butter. My ideal mix would be a Hershey's bar. Hershey's bars, Three Musketeers, Milky Ways, and Hundred Grands. There you go. Done Make it happen. Done. No one appreciates the Hundred Grand bar. Everyone's been sleeping on the Hundred Grand bar. That's that's the one that has like crisp rice in it, right? But it's like yeah. a candy bar. Yeah, it's, it's like crisp rice caramel. and caramel on chocolate. It looks like a weird little turd, but it's one of my favorite chocolate bars. Everyone's been sleeping on the hundred grand. Y'all don't know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, do you want to talk about some vampires sure. and I quietly whinge because Anne Rice and I have a feud? So we're going to start. And I'm already going to like embarrass the shit out of myself. 1791 happened. Times were different then. I was a man at that age. Okay, so we're done. So you guys should know that from the age of 16 to now, I still have the movie version of Interview with a Vampire memorized. I have had line battles with ghost tour guides in new orleans it's a problem but into i just book. realized for the first time in a while uh people will be able to see that dramatic blink i just gave you of oh really and how i talk with my hands and i get really into things that i don't need to get into so people are gonna see one that i highlight my cheeks and two that just very shady blink of just like <laughs> this hoe <laughs> which is only accentuated by the blue garage door. <laughs> so Louis de Pontoulac tells his story to a modern day, and this was in the 70s, modern day, reporter here and referred to only as the boy. Now, if you've read the whole book series, he's actually referred to as Daniel Malloy later on, not in this book. It's but he doesn't movie. matter. He, he doesn't really matter in this book. Louis begins his 200-year story by talking about he was how he was once a successful indigo plantation owner in Louisiana, New, or New Orleans, strike one. Um, Louis's extremely religious brother passes away when he commits suicide by jumping off the balcony, and Louis is determined to go down with him. He's starting living a pretty rough, rough life, and he comes into contact with a vampire, Lestat de Leoncourt, or Lioncourt, if you want to be me as a 16-year-old. He's a vampire in search of company, which he really doesn't care who it is as long as he's got money. So Lestat turns Louis into a vampire. Lestat then basically uses Louis' plantation as a personal feeding trough, and a bunch of slaves get killed. Um, and Louis is disgusted, and he's like, I'm only going to feed off animals. I value human life. And Louis horribly, like before this, keep in mind, he is a slave owner. We'll go into that a little bit later. Um, these horribly treated slaves rebel against Lestat and Louis because they are fucking sick of dying and having everybody in their, like, family killed. And being slaves. And being slaves! Okay. Just Lestat, <laughs> meanwhile, has no problems causing issues with the locals. He mm -hmm. wants desperately to kill the neighboring planter, which Louis knows is going to leave that planter family destitute because everyone else in the family is a girl and they don't have any parents left. Mm-hmm. After Lestat successfully kills the planter following a duel with another guy, because Lestat is an asshole, Louis pretends to be this, a spirit or an angel or whatever it is and convinces the oldest sister of this plantation to take over and become rich. And he just goes on and visits her and goes, 
you should invest in this. You should do this. However, things don't go so well. The slaves revolt. Louis burns down the plantation. And Lestat kills any of the remaining slaves so they don't tell people about that they're vampires. Mm -hmm. They end up hiding out at the plantation of the woman that Louis has been an avenging angel for. And she figures out what they are and tells them to leave. Louis is haunted by how she looked at it. Louis starts to fall under Lestat's influence and ends up starting to feed off of humans, but he still hates Lestat's complete lack of compassion and thinks Lestat is a total fucking dick. However, he's afraid to walk away because he thinks Lestat is the only one who can actually teach him how to be a vampire. Do you need to know how to be a vampire? Sorry. It's emphasized like 50 times. I know it is, but like... (laughs) It just reminds me of like the Tarzan movie where it's like Son of Man and it's like a montage. Like, oh, I see now. Is it like that? Is is what I'm assuming is going on? I've been listening to a lot of the of the uh, Tarzan soundtrack. Phil Collins did not have to go that hard for us, but he did. He did, and in multiple languages. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the two bail out and go to New Orleans. Louis finds a five-year-old clinging in her, to life in her plague-ridden home with her mother. Her mother, who is very, very dead. He feeds off her while thinking about how he's just going to leave and bail out on Lestat, who he is completely disenchanted with. But Lestat shows up, actually dances with the girl's corpse mom, and then takes the little girl that Louis was feeding on when he runs away. He turns Claudia, who's the little girl, into their vampire daughter so Louis won't leave him. Horrified, Louis ends up falling under Claudia's spell and begins to care for her. Claudia is actually awesome at being a vampire and kills very easily. However, after a long enough time, she realizes her body is never going to grow up. And even though she is intelligent, assertive, and a total badass, she's stuck in the body of a fucking five-year-old. Lestat starts to prance around saying he's found someone who's going to make a better vampire than Louis or Claudia because they're both sick of his shit. And he's being a major asshole about it. Claudia blames Lestat for the vampire shit and decides to kill his ass by poisoning him and then slitting his throat. Louis freaks out about this plan, but ends up helping Claudia dump Lestat's body into a swamp. Things seem to chill out for a hot minute, but evidently Lestat isn't a wuss, and he manages to survive, and he heals himself to the point where he comes after Louis and Claudia. Louis freaks out and again sets fire to a building, so he sets fire to yet another house, and they think Lestat is consumed by the flames. He and Claudia peace out, go to the European continent to try and find other vampires. Lestat was a really, really shitty teacher. They go through Eastern Europe, but the only vampires they find are like zombie kind of vampires, not anything close to what they are, where they still retain their memories and all that fun stuff. They go to Paris and they encounter a whole crew of vampires that are like themselves. And the main vampire is Armand, who in the book is like 14. In the Mm -hmm. movie, he's like 30 something because he's played by by Antonio Banderas and it's creepy otherwise, who presents as a teenage vampire. But he's a sexy teenage vampire. He's the head of the, I don't speak French, Theater of Vampires, which is a vampire coven who pretend to be actors who put on mock plays in front of a a live human audience and then kill people. And people go, oh, that's just Grand Guignol. That's amazing. This is, their effects are so good. Um, Claudia is not having it because she totally sees Louis and and Armand like getting really close and she's like, he's gonna leave me, he's gonna leave me. And she's like, this is cheap, this is all bullshit, we should leave. Anyway, she gets over it, she says, well, Louis's gonna leave me, do me a favor, turn this doll maker lady named Madeline into a vampire so I have some sort of companion, then we're like a little family. 
So Louis, Madeline, and Claudia live together like a family for a hot minute, but it's a very, very short period of time because the coven does not like Claudia. First of all, she is a kid vampire, which is forbidden. And second of all, they find out <laughs> that Lestat is back and that she has tried to kill Lestat. So he's really like starting to pull the strings. The coven shows up, they capture everybody, they put Louis into a coffin, chain it shut, so he'll starve to death. And then they put Claudia and Madeline basically in this locked courtyard where the sun comes down. They turn into dust. Armand feels guilty, gets Louis out. All he finds is these dust bodies. Everything is sad. He realizes he can't be with Armand forever, even though they, they run away together. And then he moves on. And then he goes through the ages. And in the 1920s, he runs into Lestat one more time. And Lestat is a shell of what he's been as a vampire. And then we have Louis come back to San Francisco and he's there with Daniel Malloy or the boy. And the boy is like, being a vampire looks fucking awesome. And Louis is like, did I stutter? Bites him, but he's not gonna turn him. He just wants to scare the shit out of him. But of course, all that does is just make sure that Malloy goes to find Lestat so he can become a vampire himself. The end. And it's called Interview with a Vampire because it's an interview with a vampire. What I love is you'll hear people say interview with a vampire all the time. And then it's like, you have all these people who are like, it's the vampire. You're like, I don't give a fuck and a half, yeah. Anne. <laughs> all right. That's our next t-shirt. I don't give a fuck and a half, Anne. So let's put it this way. Now at 35, I realize that this book is hella problematic. Even more so than the Mayfair Witches, which is really problematic. Mm -hmm. That's like straight incest stuff. Mm -hmm. um, let's start off with the first thing. Louis is a slave owner. His whole yes. thing about, oh, I'm so tortured. I don't want to take mm -hmm. human life. Mm -hmm. You literally enslaved a group of people to do work for you. Mm -hmm. You are taking their lives. Mm -hmm. What the fuck do you think you do? But it also, um, and if you if you did listen to our Dracula episode, it also harkens back a little bit to that Marxist reading of vampirism, where there can be a theoretical reading that vampires are sucking the lifeblood or the life essence from people, which can also be seen as the upper class bleeding the lower classes dry. So it's a fascinating um, parallel that I don't want to give Anne Rice credit for because I don't like her. <laughs> I don't want to give her credit for that because it's somewhat, it's half clever. So there are more problems with this. Um, one, Claudia is five. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've been around five-year-olds. That The fact that she becomes basically a sexy five-year-old freaks me out not yeah. to mention the fact that armand is like 14 looking mm -hmm. it is really uncomfortable and yes i know people used to get married at 14 and 15 betrothed at 12 like that kind of shit so when they filmed the movie they actually mm -hmm. aged claudia up kirsten mm -hmm. nunst was 12 when they filmed because mm -hmm. otherwise it was just too creepy like they just couldn't do it Right, and you can, in theory, have a 12-year-old who's a bit of an ingenue, in theory. It's still gross and, like, icky, but it's 
slightly less gross less terrifying if neil jordan is handling the directing right um there's just i think going back and reading this over watching the movie i was reminded of all of the reasons i don't like the book because uh while Anne rice's prose can be um fluffy and nice she also tends to some of that exoticism a little bit where she will very lushly describe other races and uh if you want to turn off amanda in every sense of the word lushly ex- lushly describe and exoticize africans or people of african descent if you want to see my soul leave my body that's how you do it if you honestly want to actively watch amanda dissociate yeah and like not even like dissociate because like i'm upset just dissociate because like that's what's stopping me from like ripping my claws into you because there's i i fucking hate it i can't stand it um there's just a lot of problems with this and i do like it because it does sort of inherently make critical readers come to terms with the fact that a lot of vampire stuff is sort of inherently problematic and i don't say that by like trying to sjw shame anyone because i fucking love vampires um but it does make you kind of like start putting a face to those questions because i feel like we didn't get that again until like twilight when it's like oh edward's like hundreds of years old and it's like that's weird like that's that's weird um it was the same thing with buffy when i was a kid i was way the angel and like then i got older like i had no business at 18 dating a 28 year old and yet i was like my mom tried to stop that shit real fast but she knew nothing was happening so she really wasn't that worried about it but it was that like now older and kind of seeing especially like studying human trafficking and stuff like that and seeing grooming and stuff and you're just like no no thank you no no Mm -hmm. i will wait (laughs) Mm -hmm. um so there are some very key differences rereading the book versus the movie the movie i feel like Mm -hmm. it flows a lot better it was also written by Anne rice but it Mm -hmm. it flows a little bit better and it's a little bit more innocent um in the book the big deal is that his brother has killed himself Mm-hmm. in the movie his wife and child his wife died in childbirth mm-hmm. and so he's just distraught mm-hmm. but in the book he just keeps talking about how beautiful his brother is mm-hmm. and how much he loves him and how he he would you know give himself up and even when he becomes a vampire instead of sleeping in the house in the coffin he moves mm-hmm. it to um where it's not, it's not, I don't think it's an oratory. I can't remember what it is, but it's the area where um, his brother used to do all his like church worship stuff and be very, very devout and crazy. And so he's got like that chained over and things growing over the building and just very big on that. Mm-hmm. Um, we've already talked about some age differences versus the movie. Mm-hmm. The entire section with the neighboring planter is completely taken out. Mm-hmm. because they feel like it doesn't add anything i feel like that section is actually kind of important because mm-hmm. you get to see how self-important louis is how much he thinks he's like this 
tragic angelic figure mm -hmm. would really he's equally a pain in the ass like i cannot stand lestat okay i can't in this book at least in this book cannot stand him mm -hmm. i feel like he re gets redeemed pretty heavily in tale of the tales of the body thief and mum knock the devil but in this particular book you're just like oh my gosh why will this guy not just like calm the fuck down and louis like now reading this as an adult i'm like you didn't want to become immortal you wanted to be dead you also wanted to be petty like i think so i think one of the interesting things about rereading this as an adult is um do you remember the like team edward versus team jacob dynamic that you had with whether you were like team louis or team uh, lasat i don't think i ever was between team louis and team lasat i think i was just like I didn't sexually find myself attracted to either of them. You just wanted to, you just wanted to fuck with vampires. I just, I was, well, in her books too, once mm -hmm. you become a vampire, you pretty much lose the ability to get a boner. So, which is interesting. That's never stopped anyone. Like, Marius and Pandora, there's a whole scene later on, and y'all are like, what the hell? Um, mm -hmm. This is what I did instead of having friends in high school. Um, that's a lie. This is what I did with my friends. My friends were like, okay, honey. We were all very sad thing. and weird together. Um, but yeah, like, there's this weird dynamic in like the fandom of like you're one or the other. And it's like, but they're both dicks. Just one is aware of it. And I think it's funny that Claudia becomes the one who is the most curious about finding out who the other vampires are. She's the one who takes to hunting the best. She's the one who basically blows everyone out of the water. And the two things holding her back are her age and her gender. Yeah, just like all women. Just like, just like women in general. So this Damn time, it. we're slightly more sober than we were for Dracula. Um, yeah, I'd say so. We were pretty lush for Dracula. I mean, it's never going to be as bad as Beowulf. Mmm. This is true. Two hoes walked into him. a meat hall, man. <laughs> it's over. Um, so there's not a lot that we really need to cover again with vampires, except for the fact that I think it's important that we re-emphasize that one, vampirism was not always male-dominated. We owe that to Bram Stoker. Two, that um, the inherent sort of sexiness of the vampire we owe in part to the book Carmilla and to Bram Stoker a little bit. Also a lot of the uh, vampire horror movies in the late mm -hmm. 60s early 70s. Yeah like the they, Hammer horror films. Yeah a lot of what she, she took influence from was Dracula's daughter. Mm -hmm. There's kind of the like sexier mm -hmm. We're going to move through this. I, I read somewhere today, and I don't know how true it is, that initially when they were going to make the movie, they talked about making Louis Louise instead. Like, turning it into a girl. And I'm like, I'm really glad they didn't. But more on that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's just... Again, we, we've kind of have this note here. It kind of blends into that Dorian Gray thing. Where it's, it's like... It's so... This book honestly is just Dorian Gray with vampires. Dorian Gray with a sad bitch. Is Dorian not a sad bitch? 
Dorian's kind of like same an book? angry bitch. <laughs> Did we read the same book? Was Dorian not a sad bitch? He was a bored bitch. <laughs> he was a bored. I mean, what is what is Lestat? What one of the things that I found fascinating rereading this is I forgot that Lestat's dad was still alive during this mm-hmm. book, and so he's like moves his dad into the house, mm-hmm. and eventually Louis like the only one who's there with his with Lestat's dad as he's dying, and he's like pretending to be Lestat so like his dad won't be sad, and. <laughs> It's so sad because it's like, I'm like, first of all, Lestat is like a bunch of guys that I dated in my 20s were like, yeah, I'm a total badass. I play guitar. I do this. And then they live with their parents and they're like, I hate my dad. He pays my bills. So, and you're going, you're, you're not as badass as you think you are, friend. Yeah, I was having that conversation with a friend of mine about um, people who will complain about their parents, but like are still living at home. It's like my mom wanted to talk to me. It's like you live there for free. Like your your presence is your rent at this stage. Um, we'll also need to highlight again that almost every culture does have some kind of life force or blood sucking creature, and that's important to know. Um, it's also super important to just keep in mind that um, the U.S. has a very storied history. With vampires, that's mostly imported. Um, we didn't get our own vampire panic until later, and it was a hoot and a holler. And by a hoot and a holler, um, just a bunch of people got inter- like dug up, and it was bad. Um, wasn't that the whole thing? It was like, I know it was in New England, but wasn't that where they like dug up that guy's sister and like took out her heart and mm-hmm. burned it and made basically like a bad shake and gave it to her brother to drink so he'd get better? Yeah, so that's literally died. episode one of Lore. Oh. And it's, yeah, it's the New England vampire panic. Um, back when lore was good. I feel like we say that at least once an episode. I I'm say waiting, that once an I'm episode. waiting to get into a Twitter fight. Or I'm waiting for you to get into a Twitter fight with Aaron Mankey. I'm trying really hard not to. Because I don't think he's a bad person. I don't think he's bad either. I just... I think his storytelling has gotten a little lazy as he's gained more shows. Don't, one. don't, well, yeah. When you have more than one podcast, it can be hard sometimes. Right. Um, one. You and then and two, We do. And then two, <laughs> I, as a black queer person, am exhausted by his white man neoliberalism. Just, just, just and make that's, enemies with R- Robia Chowdhury because I love her. Like, yeah, love and, her and, and that's... Not, well, they are all okay because they're all above board and none of them are sexual. No sure. offense, you're a beautiful woman. I'm glad you and your husband are happy. It's all intellectual, baby. Right, but like, it, it's just that. Like, it's, it's nothing personal. I don't think he's a bad human being. I don't think he's doing anything that's inherently wrong. Just his neoliberalism is exhausting. Um, except for that one guy, there was a dude last night on Twitter who Aaron Menke had posted that he was in a dark place. And this rando guy responded, you're in a dark place because you're a leftist. Whoa, and Aaron Menke quote tweeted it and said, why don't you go sit on a drill bit? Which I think is the greatest response to anything. That is phenomenal. That's, yeah, which I think is, like, the greatest response to anything. But also, fuck that rando. Like, Aaron Mankey just said he was in a dark place, and your response is, oh, you're sad because you want human beings to have rights? Fuck you. A drill bit's too soft. 
I just defended Aaron Mankey. I still think he's a lazy storyteller sometimes. Go go listen to Noble Blood. Okay. Uh, yeah, I haven't listened to that one. Yeah, go listen to Noble Blood. They cover King Ludwig II, and they're only wrong sometimes. So I was listening to a podcast today, and I was arguing with them on the way home. Mm-hmm. And then I had to remind myself that, one, people, I'm sure, do that to our podcast. And two, who? no one can hear me. They've already recorded it. I can't fix where this one particular person they were talking to who is an expert in the occult actually lives. And it's probably better I don't correct where he actually lives so people don't go find him. Mm -hmm. But it was one of those things where I'm just like, he doesn't live in London. And then I'm like, just walk away. To most most Americans, I'm not saying all, all of England is London. Yeah. And let's be real, when you're a teenager and you're first getting into stuff, most British literature is set there Mm -hmm. or the countryside. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's very easy to not have any concept of like different areas. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not saying I even know everything because I had a friend who was from up in Scotland and I didn't know what actual portion he was from until I looked at a map and went, that's why your accent is so strong and I'm an asshole. Anyway. Um... We're, I'm just gonna get in trouble the more wine I drink. Like I think, I think that's why I'm why I'm wearing the glasses so it's hard to identify my eyes. Like, so I... people don't come kill me in my sleep. No. Also, if you do want to fight us, uh, come at me, bro. I will cry. Amanda will fight you. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll cry later, but like on the outside, I'll fight you. <laughs> so we have some notes in here too about New Orleans fetishism. And New Orleans is treated like a pretty, pretty prostitute in this book. It is. Um, it is. And I, I will say, yes. so I was 100% that bitch. Of course. And for my 16th birthday, my mom took me to New Orleans so I could mm-hmm. have a Anne Rice pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry I took pictures in front of your house. I was so excited. Was like, she there? Um, One of them. She had multiple houses in New Orleans. Okay, um, that's not okay. She also lived right down the street from Trent Reznor, and I didn't realize that until after we had already left. And I would have been, I was like, Mom, we could have gone and seen Trent too. She's like, Oh my God. Anyway, we stayed. Did he let you in? What are you talking about? No, we went. <laughs> what are you talking about? Teenage girl, this is creepy. Um, we stayed at the Pontchartrain Hotel where Anne used to eat all the time because there's like a restaurant there. Uh, the day we left, her uh, limo was right in front of the, the building. I freaked out. Ice cream. Mm-hmm. We went to all these different locations where that were supposedly inspiration, um, including the doll shop from the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, problems, problems, but it was still healthier than heroin. Um, but New Orleans is basically, and, and a lot of I've heard descriptions of the plantations and stuff as well. It's just this very elaborate, drawn mm-hmm. up descriptions mm-hmm. that if you live there or you spend any time there, mm-hmm. is it really an accurate description? There are mm-hmm. people, there is vomit, mm-hmm. there are tourists. Mm-hmm. It's just part of existence. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, going to Cafe du Monde and eating beignets right next to the Mississippi, awesome. 100% would recommend. Get some chicory coffee. Look at the weird people walking around with glasses like this. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Um, Take a ghost tour. Wander around. Don't go to Jackson Square at two in the morning with your mom thinking that you're totally fine. And then the next day find out from a tour guide that you probably would have gotten killed. 
Um, but yeah, it's it's described, you know, these churches and these areas and these fences and just like this gorgeous land. And it's a city. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when people describe places like San Antonio or something and they go into these big elaborate, like, oh, and you know, there's this thriving art scene. And then you get out here and you're like, this, you, this you mean those three thriving? houses in the King Williams district? <sighs> district. Where you same, but like. King Williams thriving district, art. everything is haunted. Well, yeah. And still, still too expensive for you to buy. Yeah. But like, I, I, I can't. Okay. Welcome to Amanda's finance chat. I can't help but feel like this is just another form of gentrification because it essentially makes New Orleans out like this beautiful prostitute, but it's not benefiting anyone who could actually need help. Well, the Garden District was always like super, super lush and it still is. And most of the properties there did not get hit by Katrina. Mm -hmm. There was a little bit of damage, but nothing too crazy. Mm -hmm. However, Mm -hmm. downtown, um, I can't think of the name of the ward. Mm-hmm. Come on, brain. Basically, where the levee broke, where everything. Mm-hmm. Basically, if you did not have a million dollars and live in a mansion, you were fucked. Mm-hmm. Um, still issues. I think it's Hurricane Zed or Zane or something. Is Zeta. Like, Zeta is there, like right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they just had Hurricane Bora. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not fair. It's kind of like being from Biloxi, Mississippi, or like parts of Louis- the rest of Louisiana. You're just like near the coast i mean you mm. might be okay it might turn and hit houston instead which we never really vote for because we are texans but oh i vote what? for it i have an ex there <laughs> okay if it can specifically go to your ex and not anyone else in houston i'd be okay with that special revenge and i just like kind of want to go on a side tangent and be like like that book night watch anyway I but like and I don't just mean, like, Hurricane Katrina gentrification. I mean, like, because, like, you mentioned San Antonio, the Alamo, Alamo tourism. Is that helping you right now during COVID? Mm, not at all. It's not helping me right now during COVID. Like, you spending money at the Alamo isn't helping anyone. I'm not saying don't go, but, like, that tourism isn't going to, like, fixing our massive homeless issue. That money isn't going to, like, stopping all of the shootings on the east side that money isn't going to getting rid of the apple snails and the scooters that are in the san antonio river right now or the food bank which is massively depleted right now and is right. doing the best it can with a 66 percent increase of people using it right like let's be real here you going to new orleans for vampires is fine i'm never going to tell you that you're wrong but like you're right new orleans is a real city with real problems and it's almost like unfair that this white woman recolonized this city the thing is she's from there she lived there what i think is really interesting and we'll talk a little bit more about this too about her life mm-hmm. she lived in the irish channel she lived in a very very poor part with her grandmother and her mm-hmm. whole family in this rental house mm-hmm. she knew what it was like to be poor and mm-hmm. then she also knew what it was like to fantasize about moving into one of those garden district homes. Mm-hmm. And I think part of this book, I think part of it is wish fulfillment. And sure. part of that has to do with Claudia as well, which I'll talk mm-hmm. a little bit more about too. Mm-hmm. But it's, and, and I, I come across this sometimes when I'm writing too, where you, if, if you feel a particular kinship to a character, 
you put yourself in there. You may, you want to make it as good for them as possible. Like if you're like, this is me in character form. And she's even said before that Lestat is based on Stan Rice, her now deceased husband. Mm-hmm. And that Claudia. Which is the best name ever. Huh? Which is Stan the best Rice. name ever. Yes. Yeah. He, he's a really great, well, he's dead, but he's a, was a really great poet. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I don't want him to be, he was a really great poet. And she quotes him in a lot of her books as well. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about the fetishization of the Catholic Church and vampires. Um, so I'm still a Catholic. I like how you laugh right after you say that. I'm also super witchy, so it's like hard to say that I'm a Catholic. That's but just I'm a part Catholic. of being Catholic. It is. You know, you'll have incense and like those little incense balls that look like you're gonna hit somebody in the face and herbs. Like, come on. The Lutherans like pared it down and they're like, it's sad. I wanted to be Catholic from the time I was like 12. Because of how dramatic we are. Yes. And then I got older and I was like, this seems like a lot of work. It is. Um, but it is also very fun. Um so vampires have always had an issue with holy items mostly because of the story of the resurrection of jesus christ um it didn't start becoming a catholic thing until like relatively recently in all fairness there was only one church until one stuffy man decided that he was tired of pre-selling indulgences then they formed the religion that i was part of Keeping in mind, Catholic Church still burned people as witches, but so did the Lutherans in Norway. So, you know, I was listening to I was listening to Noble Blood, and they had an episode about the Huguenots and um, that whole thing that happened in France. And I love that Dana Schwartz goes out of her way to say the number of Protestants killed depends on who you ask. If you ask the Protestants, they'll say about thirty thousand. If you ask the Catholics, they'll say maybe a thousand. <laughs> And it's like, the most Catholic thing that I've ever heard is if you ask the Protestants, they will tell you many, many more people died. If you ask the Catholics, they will say a few, unfortunately, did perish. Just a few children who were molested. I'm not maligning your religion. I mean, being an I, asshole. Don't, I don't think that you are, but... As I mentioned in other podcast episodes, if you throw that at me, I will take a bat to your kneecaps. I mean, please don't. Not you individually, but like if anyone else <laughs> does that. I mean, I already like, have enough leg problems from, yeah. from roller derby. I don't need any help. I will take a baseball bat to your kneecaps. But um, there's this almost like fetishization of the church um, where you start seeing these like religious artifacts becoming like hot accessories. Um, which is another thing if you want to piss Amanda off is uh, the cultural appropriation of Catholic iconography for the sake of fashion. If you want to wear a rosary for fun, uh, don't ever let me see it. Because I get really, really strict about that kind of stuff. In theory, you can use those items to kill a vampire. In theory. Um, like in this book and it's emphasized in the book and the movie mm -hmm. where he goes what about looking at crucifixes and he's like I'm actually quite fond of looking at crucifixes like it doesn't do anything Mm -hmm. but in almost every other vampire book 
it's that Super is the huge thing. You are you are in the opposite of God. And there's so many times in this book where Louis is like, Am I on the side of Satan? Mm-hmm. Or am I on the side of God? Well, you're definitely on the side of God because you're an unholy can, abomination. Can I can I be saved? No. Or do I basically just have to be a demon for all eternity? You have to like it's not a question. Like you're still evil. But like you are you are you are an aberration against the natural order, sir. You were like, violating Leviticus 17 over and over and over. Right. Like seven or seventeen. It's one of I no one reads Leviticus. I did because it was fun to be like, screw that up. Screw that up. Sorry, sorry, Solomon. Sorry. When I was in a, I went to one Christian school, and I had to be able to recite all of the names of the Bible in order, because that was that's some Awana's level shit. I had to do that when I was in Awana's. It's very dumb. If you're like, what is that indoctrinating us towards? Um, but yeah, like you do see a lot of fetishization of the Catholic Church in this one, because yeah, you get these sort of just like brooding emo boys like looking fondly at crucifixes which sounds like one of my exes that sounds more like one of my ex-boyfriends i think it's exhausting and i think it's tired but i'm also a catholic who deals with contemporary catholic issues so other people might not see it as problematically as i do but me being a stick in the mud it's just personally exhausting don't wear rosaries unless you're using it as a prayer device. The Catholicism corner with Amanda. I mean, okay. Here's where I cover my own ass. I have, in fact, worn a rosary for the sake of cosplay. But I bought it off the internet, so it was very unlikely touched by a priest, which means at that point, it is a piece of jewelry. So if it's been blessed or it's been touched by a priest, that's a no-go. I would say so. Like, if you're, like, if if you must, if for whatever reason you must do some cosplay Catholicism, as long as it is not blessed or sanctified, I would say it's more okay. I'm using air quotes if you're listening to the audio-only version of this. Um, Because I do have rosaries that are blessed, and those aren't leaving my house. Those are staying next to my bedside to keep me away from demons. So how uncomfortable were you with Joaquin Phoenix and Quills? Um, enough. I mean, it's kind of hard because Jeffrey Rush is the Marquis de Sade kind of blows everything out of the water with that movie. <laughs> so you're like, oh, yeah, okay, this is awkward. I was the sufficient amount of uncomfortable. <laughs> Just enough. Just enough. Um... And, and also, I think it's important to mention that, like, this part is also fairly new to vampire lore. Because, again, uh, most vampires would be like, ah, holy thing. So, getting the, like, the only analog I can keep thinking about is Deacon Frost and Blade. Do you know that uh, Stephen Dorff was almost cast in this movie? Or yes, I do. Inter- and I think I would have liked this movie a thousand times more if it was him. But he was going to be what Christian Slater's role was. I'm still okay with that. So I found out evidently initially they were casting Joaquin Phoenix and then Joaquin Phoenix died in front of the Viper Room. And they were like, well, shit, what do we do now? Hey, Christian Slater's done a couple movies. Can I ask what might be a controversial question? Sure. 
what is the appeal of Joaquin Phoenix? Because I've only ever been hard for him once. And I think I you know admit, when. I don't know that I've ever actually watched a movie with Joaquin Phoenix in it other than Indiana Jones and the Last Gladiator. Movie. He was in that. That's not Joaquin. That's his brother. No. Uh, Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix, Phoenix. Not, not River. I meant River Phoenix, not Joaquin Phoenix. Yes. River Phoenix is dead. Joaquin yes. Phoenix is still very much alive. Yes. Sorry. I was thinking River Phoenix and I'm like, what are you talking about? Also, it would have been a very different movie if that was the case. Oh. <laughs> really uncomfortable. Oh, no. Oh, no, friend. That's a very different movie. <laughs> but uh, I think that was the only time that I was ever hard for Joaquin Phoenix was when he was in Gladiator, which I feel like is incredibly telling about who I am as a person. <laughs> I liked him in Walk the Line. Sure. He pulled off an okay Johnny Cash. Sure, he did fine. Like, I, I don't get, like... People get, like, so worked up for him, and I'm like, he's there. <laughs> I don't think he's bad, obviously, but it's like, he's, he is there. I feel like we almost should have talked about Death of the Author before we started, so we didn't get in trouble with Anne Rice. Is she listening? Probably not. She will probably never listen to this unless one of her fans is like, you need to listen to these two bitches, and I'll be like, please don't hate me, Anne um i almost hope she does well we'll talk about why i'm concerned when we get to to history and modern day mm -hmm. but i don't think we're gonna get sued so i'm not worried about being sued we don't have any money <laughs> we don't we don't have money why would you sue us um if you're missing out on vampire chat go listen to us be drunk and talk about dracula so so there are a lot of readings into this book series. A like the gay one? Like the gay one. Um, this series became incredibly popular in the 80s with the gay community because a lot of them saw themselves in Louis and Lestat mm -hmm. and in other vampires, Armand and that, because mm -hmm. it was, these are outcasts from society doing the mm -hmm. best they can with what they have. Mm -hmm. and they're often maligned and really look we're just building our own little family mm -hmm. um so but that also because really of how they're written like i think you're trying to you're trying okay because i don't like that you're throwing a softball i'm saying and really 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 writes herself into louis whether she realizes it or not mm -hmm. and the fact that she kind of based Stan, or Lestat off of Stan, mm -hmm. a man that she shared a bed with for a very long time, mm -hmm. tends to lead to some pretty severe homoeroticism, whether mm -hmm. it's meant to be there or not. Which is funny, because for a long time it was, my daughter is no inspiration for Claudia. I would never do this and then over the years it's just kind of come tumbling out like a series mm -hmm. of therapy sessions mm -hmm. um so yeah you read into it and you see this and you go mm -hmm. oh my gosh i've never seen myself like this in literature before mm -hmm. i'm gonna latch on to this for mm -hmm. me i think it was i latched on to i have severe depression that's untreated and i don't know what's going on louis be my guide and that right. was 
looking back on that, I think this and Jane Eyre would inform are what informed a lot of my early twenties, which is mm-hmm. really, really sad and destructive. It's not great. So I think for me, Lestat was a cool like bisexual antihero. Like, look, you get three characters that are that are bisexual icons. And that's it. And they're all disasters. What's interesting, too, is until recently, there has been so much bi erasure. Mm-hmm. People are like, oh, well, you know, Freddie Mercury was gay. They're like, actually, no, he was bisexual. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the, the, this as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, Lestat, chaotic bisexual. Yeah, he's great. Um, no notes. He's great. Um, <laughs> no notes. <laughs> no notes he's great um but yeah like there is there is a marxist reading that you can have into it with the whole plantations and slavery there's a queer reading that will get Anne rice upset at you which we'll talk about more in detail um there's probably a bit of a colonial post-colonial reading to it oh yeah uh but i think that's boring what's interesting about this book and i ended up taking a class on vampires in college because I had problems. I read every book before that class had started, mostly before, like years before, because mm-hmm. I used to watch the History Channel and think Dracula historian was a legit career for me. Obviously, that didn't happen. Um, but sitting there and going, okay, well, I know all of this stuff. And we covered a lot of the same themes in that class. Mm-hmm. We covered you know, the Marxist reading, we covered mm-hmm. um, the concepts of, you know, like Jamaica versus colonialism. We talked mm-hmm. about homosexuality. We talked about sexuality in general, the sexuality of women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Interview with a Vampire was one of the books that we covered, which is why mm-hmm. I felt comfortable being like, hey, we can talk about this on the show. Um, and then Amanda was like, I'm going to kill you in your sleep. Just kidding. Um, Amanda's like, no, I was not. I saw the eyes. I saw the shady eye blink. I love how, like, makeup doesn't allow me to hide the fact that I'm, like, a shady old Southern woman. Well, yeah, you're a shady old Southern woman. That's part of the reason we're friends. Like, I love that makeup just brings out that I, one, have no poker face, and two, that I'm a shady old Southern woman. No, you have no poker face. It's like, that's very sweet of you to feel that way. I also think it's this like Blanche Devereaux bang. That that's part of it as well. I think it's this like Blanche Devereaux bang as well that I'm quite fond of. I didn't go with Ursula's normal hair because it doesn't uh doesn't frame my face well. I think this frames your face well. I like it. I know. But like <laughs> I'll put up pictures for those of you who aren't watching this on YouTube or whatever. I spent way too much time on makeup for this not to be seen. So Anne Rice has a huge, 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 huge impact on our culture. Oh, so we're going to do pop culture before we drag her? I see how it is. You're going to drag her. I'm going to cower in a corner. Um, (laughs) Because you're afraid she's going to hear us. I don't want her to come and kill me in my sleep. I'm I'm still in love with her son, even though her son doesn't play for my team. Um, She's an old woman. What is she going to do? Cease and desist letter. Um, Anyway, so... I would die. So we've had, you know, obviously you've had Kermilla, you had Dracula, you had mm-hmm. the occasional vampire story that would pop Nosferatu. up. Nosferatu. 
Nosferatu, which was basically just stealing the Dracula book, um, that you had Dracula adaptations that were completely off what the book was because they didn't want to have to pay for rights. You know, that kind of thing. The Gary Oldman one. My my mom saw the part where he licked the the blade with the blood on it, and she's like, "What the hell are you watching?" And I just remember being like, "What this?" She's like, "Ugh, what am I what am I getting you?" Um. But the whole like this sexy mm-hmm. concept, this mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't want to kill. I don't want to take human life. The or, young and sexy. Conversely reveling in the taking of life yes um god kills kills indiscriminately in social week yes maybe which i've seen way too many times um it's so formative that for mm-hmm. since the 70s this has mm-hmm. been part of our culture and the funny it thing has. is like i feel like this was popular and then once it hit 94 with the movie, mm-hmm. then it kicked it up for a whole new generation. Absolutely. Completely. I, I feel like it sort of did in the way that, um, that Twilight did. The mm-hmm. Twilight had a fandom. It wasn't big and no one cared. And then the movies came out and then it became a phenomenon. Like, I, I think it's a lot of the same. And I mean, when you think about it and when you talk about people who are too into vampires, like Tori and I, like, I, I included you. You are also you are also a vampire fucker. Um, when you start Marilyn listening, Manson music video to that. Yes. Oh. When you start talking about like how we believe like vampire lore is and vampire canon and hierarchies of hell and what a vampire is and what a vampire isn't, um, and it is almost on age lines. You can tell who came into vampirism because of Anne Rice. And a lot of us are the ones that were really formed and molded by the Anne Rice vampire. Now, conversely, depending on when you came into vampires will dictate how much you can tolerate of other vampires. So, like, for me, because I was really shaped and molded by, like, Vampire the Masquerade and this, I have a hard time with, like, honestly going in either direction backwards or forwards so like dracula as writ is kind of boring to me that's my problem but i love phantom of the opera as it's written too like i love that time period it's such a bad book it's epistolary and it's not what we're used to it's a hundred percent the reason that Dracula and Frankenstein have become as big as they have is because of stage adaptations that later mm-hmm. on were adapted into movie form. Yes. That is 100% why they're, they're famous and they're comfortable. It's because somebody took it and adapted it. In Bram Stoker's case, he adapted his own work. Um, mm-hmm. And it's become, you know, this becomes an icon. It becomes something that people didn't have to sit and do the work on. And I think that's part of the reason, too, that, you know, this movie is so easy to, to imbibe, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. um, that you end up being like, I can see myself in this whole velvet and satin. I can see myself, you know, candles and blood out of goblets. I can see myself like this. It's like a ball. It's classic. I'm in Paris at, like, the height of fashion, like Belle Epoque stuff. Bell epic, however you say it, because again, I don't speak French and I don't want to fuck it up, but here we are. 
Um, and it's this romanticized, over-the-top, look how big her bouffant is. Like, whereas if, if vampires were real, if I don't want to say one way or the other because I believe in a lot of weird stuff, um, I don't think it would be sexy. No, not at all. Blood, blood is not sexy. Anybody who's been hospitalized for some sort of trauma or had to have multiple stitches in their life, thank you, scars, blood isn't sexy. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's the life, to quote mm-hmm. Dracula. Yes, it's the thing that keeps us going. Mm-hmm. But it's not sexy. It's not. And I think, and I, I keep talking about Blade because I shockingly like that movie. Um, I have no judgment against you. <laughs> there's a part of it that I think that a lot of people don't think about, which is just the sheer amount of effort that would go into being a vampire and i think that's one of the reasons why like this book is so fascinating is because you rarely get to see the vampire luxuriant just comfortable and everything is okay it's not a constant feeding frenzy it's not you know i'm an old sad husk the only thing that they have to deal with is impotence and fan fiction writers have found a myriad of ways to write around that so i think it's interesting too because we wouldn't have concepts like true blood without Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. because what is the whole concept of true blood vampires come out of the coffin they come out of the coffin because they're able to drink a blood substitute Mm -hmm. they're not killing humans Mm -hmm. Anne rice really emphasized that vampire that doesn't kill if they Mm -hmm. don't have to Mm-hmm. And that gained so much momentum, and it makes Louis this sad heroic hero because he's trying so hard to be a good guy, and you're going, but you're not. But still, yeah, it um, makes him a hero in the vein of what something like what a Lord Byron, Byron would write, like it or makes still him from Polidori. Not false, but that's not why we're here. Um. Uh, I hate giving Anne Rice credit because I don't like her as a human being, um, but she's really the reason why modern vampire fandom is the way it is. Also, I'm going to give you guys another reason, another way to make Amanda mad. There is an episode of Deadliest Warrior that is vampires versus zombies. Why zombies? Why not werewolves? Werewolves is like the natural enemy. I can't... I don't I don't have to sorry I'm not meaning to yell at you You, I understand that you I wish you would I wish you would um I am afraid to yell at you friend you could kill me in my sleep you could take me out in seconds I love uh, you but I also understand that you were deadly in the words of one of my best friends uh I'm so glad that I am your friend because I cannot imagine being your enemy and like I want that on my headstone a little bit, um, but yes, this I we just get so many concepts from her, and I hate it. I hate it. I don't want to. I don't want to say nice things about her. But like I played a lot of Vampire the Masquerade until uh, my aunt found out about Rod Farrell, and then I had to stop playing. Oh. So for those of you who don't know the Rod Farrell case, this is the thing that freaked me out the most as a teenager. So the long and short of it is this girl was hanging out with a group of kids on, who the, were internet. Very, on the internet who were very into vampires. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Rod Farrell specifically was Vampire the Masquerade. It was specifically yes. they were playing the role playing game Vampire the Masquerade. So Rod and this girl were dating. And what was that? My chair. My chair oh, thank God. Like, grease it. It's the ghost. I was oh, like, you're in danger. Get out, girl. Um, so he and this girl were very into each other. And he's like, mm-hmm. run away with me. Run away with me. And she's like, I can't. My parents are standing in the way. So he shows mm-hmm. up at her house and kills her parents. And this happens in Florida. This happens in Florida. And they decide that they're going to go to New Orleans as a group. Mm-hmm. So they hop into, I want to say it was her parents' car. Could be wrong. Yeah, they stole her parents' car after Rod Farrell bludgeons them to death with, like, chimney tools. So they get about halfway to New Orleans and the car breaks down. Of course it does. And they get caught. They do. And the interesting thing is Rod Farrell and his mother both mm-hmm. wholeheartedly believed that they were actually vampires. Mm-hmm. And so when he was given, I believe he was given the death penalty, he's like, okay. And I remember being obsessed with this case as a teenager because it was like, oh my God, somebody might hurt my mom if I'm into vampires. No. And like being really, really scared of it. And then being like, or maybe don't give this guy on the internet all my information. Oh my gosh. He's still on death row. Is he really? Is he still in Florida? Yes. Yes. That's crazy. Cause that was the nineties, right? Yeah, so, okay, he was not given the death penalty. He was given a bunch of, like, consecutive life sentences. Oh, okay. Um, There was a circuit court ruling that he will stay in jail. He's now 40. He's only a few years older than me. That's so weird. Yeah, okay, sorry. I had to Google it because it's like, I don't remember no, where don't he is. Sorry. Yeah, like, he's still... Facts. <laughs> like, he's still hanging out. He's still... He's still uh, hanging out. He does recant some of the vampire talk, though, because... Because now know. he's aging? Because <laughs> he's in fucking jail? Kind of hard, hard to fight that back. Yeah, so he's, uh, he, he has recanted some of the vampire talk. But yeah, Rod Farrell, he's, uh, he's still kicking it. Um, you can write him letters. I don't want to. You don't? No. Okay, so he was originally given the death penalty, reduced to life without parole. Okay, so, so you are correct. He I was on death row for a while. I wasn't wrong. I just didn't continue to be right. He was, for a while, the youngest person in the United States on death row. Except for that one black kid that America killed. Was it Emmett Till? No, it was another okay. kid. Emmett Till, also an American tragedy that is fucked up that we don't talk about. Yeah, go fix. Anyway, there's a link to the Howard Johnson Hotel (laughs) as a part of his Wikipedia entry. Is that like where he stayed or something? Yeah, but like they go out of their way to link Howard Johnson in the Wikipedia entry. Do you think Howard Johnson was like, hey, we might be able to get some like murderinos to come hang out here? Oh my God, I would 100% stay in his Howard Johnson. I'm good. I'm good. You go on ahead. He's not dead. He's not dead. But like, how awful does that have to be? You're thinking about it and you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm responsible for my parents getting murdered because I was playing role-playing games online. And we're not going into chick tracks here. Like, I'm not saying Dungeons and Dragons or Vampire the Masquerade is evil. I think they're great. They're super fun to play. And they're super yeah, they fun are. to like 
if you're a writer to get your brain going but it's austin like, the current capital of vampire the masquerade players really good mm-hmm. job austin is that, why, job, um, austin is that why dan patrick says austin is the most dangerous city in the world because we're just a bunch of vampires <laughs> Okay, so he had so Ron Farrell had a resentencing hearing for November, but it moved again and then another one in April 2020. So this is like the most up-to-date sentence. We could send him a postcard. I'm not sending him a postcard. <laughs> we can send him and F. Scott Fitzgerald a postcard. F. Scott Fitzgerald, what is it just gonna say? Wish you were here. I'm sorry you're dead and everything was terrible and nobody liked you in life. Yeah. So I sent Amanda this thing yesterday that is like these what twitter entries would look like for famous writers and hemingway was immediately blocked f scott fitzgerald and f scott fitzgerald was tags hemingway and everything and it was like so heartbreaking because i'm going i feel like that was accurate like it hurts a little bit he's my friend he's my only friend (laughs) they just don't like each other um okay so we've 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 given enough praise to Anne Rice. We need to talk about Death of the Author, which is an uncomfortable conversation to have right now as fans all over the world are still coming to grips with the fact that J.K. Rowling is a fucking turf. <laughs> it's, it's hard. And it's that desire to separate the work from the author. And yes, I know that I actively go against this almost every time by telling you how their life inspired their work. Mm-hmm. I apologize for that. No, I don't think that you do. So for me, I do think that it is important to know about the author and their lives. To me, though, it's never an excuse for narrative. So it's helpful. Like knowing how crazy Sylvia Plath was makes the bell jar make sense. But you still have to read the work as writ. There's no alcohol in this. I wasn't questioning you. I have a mug full of ice water with a straw in it because I have on two different types of lipstick. Um, I have so lip Anne, on. E. So Anne Rice, um, <laughs> for all of her uh, homoeroticism and queer baiting, very much does not like it when um, you indulge in that type of critical reading of her work but if she can make a buck off it which is the entire book of vampire named lestat <laughs> i thought it was she, the vampire lestat whatever i don't know i was i don't remember anymore i remember it was a precocious 16 year old asshole let's just go with it i um there was a lovely period in the early uh, days of the internet where Anne Rice loved sending takedown notices to fanfiction authors. Which, um, have you seen the like hour and a half long video by Lindsay Ellis about the Omegaverse lawsuit? Mm-mm. First of all, it's one of the best things on the internet. Go watch it now. Secondly, it brings up a lot of the points that will become relevant to an argument like this, which is how do you police fanfiction? Which, technically, her as a copyright holder can police it a little bit. But most fan fiction is transformative enough that we can claim fair use. So, on behalf of all of my brothers, sisters, and those in betwixt who have written fan fiction, in which these two clearly gay-for-each-other men 
or sometimes three, engage in various sexual acts, eat my entire ass, Anne Rice. I think it was Laurel K. Hamilton who had my fan fiction for her series taken down. In my defense, it was really bad, though. And I don't speak French, and it was obvious. Yeah, J.K. Rowling completely deserved to take down my Draco Harry fan fiction. Like, that's deserved. It was not good back then. It's great now, though. So come at me, Joe. You're just going to have, like, an author fight. It's going to be, like, WrestleMania. It's just going to be you in a unitard with, like, book pages all over it. I would love nothing. I would love nothing more. I would love nothing more. Because to me, so this comes into Death of the Author because if you live under the tenets of Death of the Author, the author is dead and the work belongs to the reader, which is why fan fiction is so pervasive. It stops being your work the minute you publish it. But by continuing to meddle in fan affairs, Anne Rice and other various authors who indulge in this frankly heinous practice of trying to police fans just don't police fans leave fans alone let them continue to love you Mm. and your characters we don't always love you sometimes we're doing this out of spite looking at you joe rowling sometimes we're doing this entirely out of spite um it becomes this frustrating thing of this isn't your world anymore so basically as far as death of the author is concerned as soon as these books were published this is no longer hers and even though she is still alive and she does still inform a great deal of the canon of the work anything else is conjecture and fans can and should do whatever they want that's free speech unless it's like weird nazi shit don't do weird nazi shit i mean like there's no argument there don't do weird nazi shit yeah don't do weird the newest t-shirt from our podcast don't do weird Nazi Nazi shit. shit yeah we don't advocate for that no no advocating for that also um by the time this comes out it'll have been way over early voting but i certainly hope that all of you who are listening in the united states have either voted or are making plans to vote on election day yes for the only option that we have please oh please please oh please and i understand how begrudging this might be for some of you and i understand and i hear you but, for those of you who live outside of the U.S. who are making fun of us, y'all still have coronavirus. Yeah, y'all also still have um, can Boris. We, can we elect somebody in our country that makes sure that that doesn't continue to happen in your country? Right. Um, in the words of Eminem, this opportunity comes once in a lifetime or, you know, once every four years. But we literally have one option to vote, vote out a fascist. And um, I just hope that all of you make the right decision. That was the most Southern thing. I just hope you make the right decision. Still just, keeping eye contact. Unbroken eye contact. That, that is one of the- This gr- julep and destroy you internally. That's the greatest Southern skill is just multitasking with unbroken eye contact. Oh yeah. It truly Again, is an art form. Reasons I'm afraid of you. Really, it's just the makeup. I just paint very severe. I'm like a- <laughs> Like a goth Dolly Parton. Do you want me to talk a little bit about Anne Rice's backstory? I mean, does it make her less of a rotted bitch sometimes? So she was born in 1941. So she was born way before my dad was. Um, 
Anne Rice's given name was Howard O'Brien because, and I quote, my birth name is Howard Allen because apparently my mother thought it was a good idea to name me Howard. My father's name was Howard. She wanted to name me after Howard and she thought it was a very interesting thing to do. She was a bit of a bohemian, a bit of a madwoman, a bit of a genius, and a great deal of a great teacher. And she had the idea that naming a woman Howard was going to give that woman an unusual advantage in the world, end quote. And she was wrong. Spoiler alert, it did not help. Yeah. Um, and spoiler alert, her mother was wrong. So she was born and raised in New Orleans. She also later moved to Texas when she was in high school. Where in San Texas? Francisco. She's actually, um, I have it written down somewhere, I think. She's North Texas. She was in Richardson. I know where that is. I was going to say, oh, I think you know where that is. I do know uh, where that is. She was That's one of four daughters. Right. Her older sister, Alice Bouchard, is actually a fantasy writer which you can find her stuff all over. Um, when Anne was a little girl, they lived in a rented home on St. Charles Avenue in the Irish Channel, which we talked a little bit about before. We they did. lived with her grandma, um, Alice Allen, AKA Mama Allen. She did domestic work and had been married to an alcoholic. So the most Irish thing ever, don't come at me, my family history too. Um, Mama Allen died in 1949. The family continued to live in the house. Um, Anne considered her to be a great teacher and a very, very close confidant. Mm -hmm. um, they ended up moving to 2524 St. Charles Avenue, which is a former Catholic rectory and convent. So already part of that is forming in Anne's mind as a kid. She did go to Catholic school. She went to St. Alphonsus Catholic School. When she got there, a nun asked her what her name was, and instead of saying, I'm Howard O'Brien, said, I'm Anne, because she thought Anne was a very pretty name. And the nun didn't even question her, just rolled with it. Her family rolled with it. From then on, she was Anne, and she had her name legally changed in 1947. Um, her own mom struggled very heavily with alcoholism, um, and it's actually a theme that runs through a lot of her books, including one called Violin, where there's a character who is very severe alcoholic. Um, her mom died from alcoholism when Anne was just 15 and almost immediately in some like Jane Eyre style thing her dad shipped her off to St. Joseph Academy with her siblings and she said it was a nightmare and actually said it was something out of Jane Eyre. She hated it there. Um, her dad ended up remarrying and they moved to Richardson, North Texas. Um, in high school in her journalism class she met Stan Rice and he was pretty, and she liked him. Stan was a huge atheist. Anna had been raised Catholic, and when they had their wedding ceremony, Stan said, I don't want anything super religious. We'll still go ahead and, you know, get married in church for your family, and the priest started to say something in the eyes of God, and evidently Anne freaked out, was like, please, oh, please, oh, please do not let my future husband run screaming from this church. Mm -hmm. um, they were actually ended up being together for 41 years, and he had died in 2002 of Frank so they were pretty much their whole lives um and by that i mean she married him when she was 20 and he was about three weeks from turning 19. so their whole lives um and went to texas women's university transferred My to alma mater. Um, she ended up transferring to north texas state college Dropped out sophomore year because she just couldn't afford it anymore. I like how I meant to write she was broken. Instead, I wrote she was broken. Anyway, she couldn't get a job. 
-hmm. She ended up moving to San Francisco back before it was the one of the most expensive places in the world to live. Mm-hmm. And she stayed with family friends until she got a job as an insurance claims processor, mm-hmm. which do what you have to do. Mm-hmm. She went back uh, for Easter vacation and ended up rehooking up with Stan. So she moved to Denton, Texas for mm-hmm. Stan Rice. They got married and then they ended up moving back to San Francisco to the Haight-Ashbury district, mm-hmm. uh, which is really funny because Anne is always like, oh, I was so conservative and I was just in this hippie stronghold. And you're like, sure you were. She ended up getting her MA in creative writing after some stops and starts. Um, Stan became a teacher of creative writing and um, they ended up having a daughter named Michelle. The really sad thing is Michelle, they called her mouth. She was their baby. She died when she was about five years old from from cancer. Um, And it was brutal, super, super, super brutal. Um, They end up having another kid. His name is Christopher. Christopher is still with us. He is an incredible writer. He's a podcaster. They live very close to each other now in the Palm Springs area, or at least they did before I moved to Texas a few years ago. Um, She, for years and years and years, people accused Claudia of being, based off Michelle, for decades, she was like, no, I would never have done that in the memory of my child. And then later she's like, yeah, it was kind of how I processed. So, Interview with a Vampire started off as a short story in 1968. She kept working on it. It became a full-fledged novel in 1976. She said it was inspired by Dracula's daughter, which we referenced a little while ago. Mm-hmm. And she got a lot of rejections. She said it to publishing houses. Um, They said it was too philosophical. They said it was not for their market over and over and over. And she actually got so much of a complex of it. She developed a form of OCD, um, which I found fascinating. I didn't know that about her until recently. She ended up being terrified of germs for a while, started therapy again, sent her book off one more time, went to Alfred A. Knopf Publishing, who at the time purchased it for $12,000 for hardcover rights at the time the average amount that most authors got paid for a pre-release was $2,000. So she was all in. Um, We already talked a little bit about the fact that the LGBT community loved her books because they felt like they were unseen. She kind of became a gay icon, whether or not she embraced it. What I do think is funny is she used to show up to events in a coffin. Like they would carry her in a coffin. Like she'd be sitting up like a little Cleopatra. She's so cute. She's got like the little bob. Anyway, um, that was a big thing in like the 80s. So anyway, um, in 1994, Interview with a Vampire was made into a movie, which Mm -hmm. was a big deal for her and for her family. It was directed by Neil Jordan, who had recently just come off The Crying Game, which has the biggest unsurprising transsexual reveal of all time that everybody is very, very into. Um, You just got this face. Have you never seen The Crying Game? No, I've never heard you use the word transsexual. Did I say the wrong? I said the wrong thing. That's not what I meant. Okay. <laughs> no, it is. It is what I meant because there is a woman in the movie. And the woman previously was born a different gender. Transgender. Transgender. Oh my God. Do not let me have wine anymore and watch that's why, horror before That's this. why I gave you the look. Like, transsexual. Transgender. I mean, no disrespect. I wholeheartedly <laughs> apologize to my transgender friends, of which I have many. Not that that's an excuse. I fucked up. 
That's why you got the look. I was like, I was like, what did I do? And I'm like, oh my god, I did something very wrong. Now I wish we could just like cut that, but I don't know how to edit this. Shit. Tori apologized, and it was a genuine mistake. We mean no harm. We're very sorry. Very much apologize. We're gonna send twenty dollars to the um Trevor Fund. I will, like right after this. Maya Culpa, Maya Max Culpa. Um, so she was okay with Brad Pitt's casting in the movie. Mm -hmm. She's like, okay. She wanted Rutger Hauer for Lestat, but he was too old at this point in time. So mm-hmm. they offered the role to Jeremy Irons, and Jeremy Irons said, <laughs> no, thank you. How was um, Jeremy Irons not too old? Well, <laughs> they offered it to Tom Cruise, and she was livid. She's like, no, that casting is so off the mark. I can't even understand how this would possibly work. She ended up seeing a screener later on of the film and then writing an apology letter to Tom Cruise saying you did a great job. Um, but because she was so vocal about hating Tom Cruise for casting, mm-hmm. they decided to um, remove her from the process for Queen of the Damned because mm-hmm. they already had the movie rights. Um, she said that she felt that that movie had been, was a complete massacre of her work and that had been horribly butchered. So I'm sorry, Stuart Townsend, you and Fishnet evidently ain't where it at. My 17-year-old self did not agree with that. Anyway, um, we already talked about them aging up Claudia. What I didn't know until today is that evidently Christina Ricci had been considered for the role mm-hmm. because she had done so much recently. But they went with Kirsten Dunst, who at the time was just like, okay, it's an acting role. Mm-hmm. Um, she got distanced, obviously, Anne Rice, very, very, very much from Queen of Damned. Um, Universal Pictures ended up buying the film rights for the entire Vampire Chronicles in 2014. They didn't do anything with it. 2016 rolled around and they went, you know what? We're not going to re-sign for the rights. You can have them back. We don't care. Mm-hmm. AMC ended up buying the rights this year in May. And they are promising a Vampire Chronicles and Lives of the Mayfair Witch series. Um, which is interesting because she's now merged them with her books. Um, and evidently Christopher and she are going to be the executive producers but Mm -hmm. with as many times as these works have been promised to be readapted I'll believe it when it actually airs this might be an unpopular opinion but do we do we need more of of this I I don't think it's going to make it honestly I don't Um, think it can be good well with everything going on right now with COVID and just the general air of interest in something that sucks out your blood and destroys your body. Mm-hmm. We already have that. It's called the U.S. government. Uh, I'm still feeling really, really guilty and like mentally upping my donation to the Trevor Project right now. We've had um, a lot of wine. It's been a long week. But still, I'm an asshole. Okay. Okay. In 1988, the Rices moved back to New Orleans from San Francisco and Mm -hmm. Texas and all that kind of stuff. They Mm -hmm. purchased the Brevard Rice House. Mm -hmm. Anne went into a coma right after they moved there. She had DKA, which is diabetic ketoacidosis, and she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Mm -hmm. Um, She had gastric surgery. Not that that is required, but when you can kind of keep your blood sugar in control, type 1 is a little easier to maintain. So that was part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, her husband died um, before she had gastric surgery. 
-hmm. So she ended up losing a lot of weight. And then in 2004, she almost died again because she had an intestinal blockage, which is a complication from the surgery. Mm -hmm. She went to another coma. And Mm -hmm. at that point in time, it was pretty much enough is enough. I want to be close to my kids. So she Mm -hmm. started to sell off property and moved to California, which happened to be the year before Hurricane Katrina happened. Mm -hmm. Um, She still is a very vocal advocate for rebuilding New Orleans and relief projects. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's guilt because she moved away right before that kind of survivor's guilt or just the fact that, you know, she wants New Orleans to come back. But I'll take your white woman money. Um, she's written a lot of books, a lot of sexy books. Mm-hmm. Um, she wrote them under Anne Rampling and A.N. Rolacroix. Um, this includes a book, Exit to Eden, which was made into a really unpopular movie with Rosie O'Donnell and is nothing like the book. Um, the Sleeping Beauty trilogy, which I had no business reading at 17. Um, the Mayfair Witch series is one of my personal favorites, but there is a lot of incest in there and that's really uncomfortable. So mm-hmm. With the way that she used to write is she would take a lot of notes, whether that was like posting them around her or in the particular case of the Memnock the Devil, she ended up writing actually around her computer monitor. So there was a store near Lafayette Cemetery in New Orleans that actually had some of these computer monitors. And it was just like $1,000 computer monitor used to write Memnock the Devil and you just see all of these things around. And it was like, okay. Gotcha. I, however, I'm like, I'm going to clean all this sticky stuff off my laptop so I can make it live another five years. Um, she was affiliated with the Catholic Church for a very long time. She's gone mm-hmm. kind of back and forth. She mm-hmm. was raised about Catholic. Mm-hmm. She moved into pseudo-atheism, made a huge public return back to Catholicism, started writing a series of books on the life of Jesus, which was supposed to be a trilogy. To date, we only have two books. The- mm-hmm third one has never come out um she left the church again saying she couldn't agree with a lot of their things and today her affiliation is secular humanism what does that mean i don't know what the fuck does uh sorry continue so this is the part where i get nervous Mm -hmm. she does not take criticism well she Um, doesn't no so Evidently, um, when somebody criticizes her book on Amazon, one of her over 30 novels on Amazon, Mm -hmm. um, she takes them to task. And some of these responses are 1,200 words long. Mm -hmm. So when somebody says, I really like the rest of your books, but I couldn't get into this one, Mm -hmm. she explains to them why they're wrong. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of afraid of the comments or email that we might get that is 1,200 words wrong about how I'm a horrible person and um, we're wrong. Come at me, Anne. I have nothing to lose. Not anymore. We have nothing. Anyway. I have nothing to lose, Anne. I've been waiting for this my whole life. Come at me. Anne's just going to fight authors in her apartment. mm, You're like, two fists, no waiting. Like, I'm just such a strong believer that unless someone has done a reading of your work that you find is, like, morally abhorrent. Like, if someone were to, like, if someone were to do, like, a Nazi reading of this book, which I don't know how you could do that. 
But if someone were to, then as author, you may say, hello, this is not what my work was intended to do. But in every other scenario, once you've cast your check, leave us the fuck alone. You're done. Like That's what Alan Moore does. He just goes, just give me the check. Bye. Okay, but Alan Moore then likes to complain afterwards. Alan Moore know. is like really into high magic too. High magic indeed. And also being a misogynist. Anyway. Yes, that was the joke. Thank you, Tori. <laughs> that was the thank you, Tori. That was the joke. I had to emphasize. He also very much likes being a misogynist. He just none of his work is anything that is written by a human being who likes women. Yeah, Silk Spectre has always been super uncomfortable for me in um, The Watchmen. To hell! His Jack the Ripper oh. fanfiction. Oh. Right, like, none of... They're re-releasing that in full color. For whomst? For what incel pseudo-mass murderer is this being released for? I don't know, but it's gonna sell. That reminds me of the wildest thing I've ever heard. So I was watching this documentary. It was called The Family I Had. And it was about this kid who murdered his sister. It's a very long documentary. It was this kid who murdered his sister in like the 90s. Oh, no, I heard that part. Mm -hmm. I just didn't go on. It, It gets better. I mean, better. The girl's still dead. Anyways, so the documentary, like the family, like trying to move on. The kid is now like, I think he's like 18 or something. He's in jail because he murdered his sister. Um, His name. Oh my God. So the mom goes on to have another kid. The kid who murdered his sister is named Paris. And there's a whole analog where like they're talking about how the kid who committed murder is not allowed to meet with his little brother because like that's not allowed and there is an exchange where they discuss achilles being murdered by paris because that's the other kid's name it is just like look at you guys uh it's called the it's called the family i had it's on hulu so tori as we clearly don't share this account because <laughs> i don't want disney to hear us you can add that to your watch list it's like an hour and a half it made me very sad also a uh, brief san antonio because the mom moved to san antonio after uh her son murdered her daughter and it's like i know that building <laughs> yeah if you ever want a serious trip and see san antonio in a movie watch that uh, movie for the 90s blank check you're like hey wait a minute yeah they were like on like the saint mary's trip. It was like that's mccullough i know where that <laughs> it's so it's so weird seeing your city but like real yeah it's it's kind of uncomfortable you're like uh oh, there's that my husband is from savannah and so he talks about forrest gump because they filmed it in savannah he goes that bench isn't there that's where they keep a dumpster. And it makes me laugh every time. We watched um, The New Lady and the Tramp on, the, on Disney Plus, and he goes, huh, see where they're eating dinner? I go, yeah, he goes, that's the alley the bums pee in. And I'm like, 
what the hell are you talking about? Aren't movies great? Um, so yeah, Anna Rice has too much time on her hands, and uh, if you want to fight me, fight me. I'm following quarantine protocols. I'm fighting no one. Yeah, Tori's still a fan. Don't fight her. Say nice things about Tori, but you can fight me, you salty okay. old bitch. You'll have the right to say horrible things about me. I wish you wouldn't, though. Because I'll cry. <laughs> yeah. Don't say horrible things about Tori. <laughs> I'll be in a small corner going, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be a bad person. All right. Did we have to read this in school? I did not, but I did 100% read a, a Vampire Lestat while wearing all black and when I was in Hawaii. Like I said, I read this in high school, but not in it for high school. Um, and then I read it for a course in college on vampires. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. Um, if you have the time, there is an amazing author named Catherine Ramsland. She actually wrote a book about a murder that occurred in the vampire subculture, um, which is really good. I want to say, I can't remember what it's called. I know it's out of print. It's on my bookshelf. Um, she did write a biography of Anne Rice called Prism of the Night which I read when I was like 17. I thought it was cool. The Vampire's Companion, which is the thing this big, that mm-hmm. is just all the stuff about the vampire book. Mm-hmm. Um, she also has one for the lives of the Mayfair, which is um, obviously Wikipedia is a friend. Interview mm-hmm. with the Vampire, the film is on Hulu right now. So if you like want to be super depressed on Halloween, I recommend watching that. It um, shouldn't depress you. Oh, it depresses the crap out of me, but I don't know if it just like brings me back to like my six. I think it just brings self. you back because it's not depressing. It's that just vaguely horny. That soundtrack yeah. and Dracula from like ninety two or ninety four. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I would just sit there and like those were my soundtracks. Later on, Last Mohicans got thrown in for some reason, which I don't even like that movie, so I don't anyway. Um. Anyway, so. I done fucked up tonight, so I'm mm-hmm. actually going to be making two donations. I'm going to make one donation to the Trevor Project, which is mm-hmm. an incredible organization. It is. The other, I'm going to make a donation to an organization that's helping out with the hurricane relief for New Orleans. I have to figure out which one. But that one I will make in the name of the show. Um, okay. The other one will be my mea culpa. <laughs> we'll just, it'll just say mea culpa in the message. Yeah, that's um, all it's going to say. That's all it's going to say. I feel like I need to screenshot it and post it and just be like... <laughs> holy fuck like i mean it all okay it's this is not about me this is about the fact that i want people to understand that we respect them in all fairness there are people in the lgbtqia plus community that do use that word now there are people that some in the community do not like but there are people of that persuasion who have used that word to describe themselves I had just never heard you use that word before in any you know context. What stupid crap is? Yes. I keep looking at all this stupid Rocky Horror shit. And so oh, that's your problem. You're looking at Rocky Horror. Yeah, transsexual from Transylvania. Like, 100%. And then I'm like, ah. this is not okay. This is not okay at all, though. Because that was the... Pre- what is it from um, Big Lebowski? The preferred nomenclature. Like, It actually wasn't. It was just the no, word that people used. That was just what rhymed in the song or made sense in the song. Yeah, because the whole idea of being a transsexual, they they uh, correlated a lot to basically just being like a cross-dresser. And 
it also brings up a very, very ugly conversation between sex and gender, which is not something that we want to have after having wine at nearly 9 p.m. True. Very true. Um, so you, we love you guys. Just we so love you. Know. We love you. We love we love all of you. Um, Even if yeah. you're gonna fight Amanda. <laughs> come fucking come at me. I'm five foot I'm five foot one and I exited the womb ready to fight. There, no, there no lie detected. There's just I am literally the most pugnacious person. I'm probably the first to cry, but I will still throw hands. Like I I don't know though. Compared to the two of us, are you still the first to cry? Okay, no. In comparison to the two of us, no. Just remember, if ever you feel bad about having emotions, this bitch is going to cry first. I did cry yesterday because I heard a song by the Killers that hit too close to home. Because they had a line in there that said, um, when you can't take it anymore, don't break character. And it's like, ah, how do they know where I live? How do they find my home address? But um, I had a, as, as good of a time as I can discussing vampires in the middle of the night while wearing a wig. I had, I had some fun. I did have, I, some I did have wine. some fun. I had one Hershey's bar that I ate very inelegantly. I had one of these cheese wedges before I started. I also have the greatest snack food, which is Werther's Original Caramel Corn. I love it so much. Like, it it's like a, it's, it's really, it is a, it's too good for this world almost. Like, why does this exist? Just to make you feel better about yourself. I also am very excited. I have not opened either of my two very expensive gin bottles. Oh, your fancy ass Hendrix gin that came in? Yes. I got both of the ones I wanted, and I'm so happy. You can't have one of them, because you're quinine-sensitive, aren't you? No, I'm fine with quinine. Oh, I thought you were quinine-sensitive. No, you would just put in to be careful of it. You were being a nice person trying to get one of our uh, listeners killed. Yes. Because Orbium is a quinated gin. I don't want anyone to die. I also, I mean, not, not like this. No. This is not the preferred way I'd like for our listeners to perish like maybe in a choose your own adventure novel kind of way but yeah i mean if, if you have to go out that's not the way that i'd like so i have a expensive gin to drink uh for this beautiful sawin thank you for pronouncing it correctly you're welcome do you expect anything less of me no i just gonna tell you I love Hocus Pocus, but that first five minutes where she's given the wrong information about Can Halloween. I say something that I'm sure will get my gay card, my woman card, and all of my cards removed? You don't like it, do you? I've never seen it. Oh! I mean, I can fix that. I'm not watching it this year because um, personal, personal thing. Yeah, yes. I had a very beautiful cat named Binks, who was a sweet, sweet baby, and he got hit by a car this year because mm-hmm. 2020 is a fucker. Mm-hmm. um anyway so this year i'm skipping it so i don't start crying yeah, I've, i mean i brat. i know of it in lexicon but i like i was really like strumming through my memories and it's like i don't think i've ever seen this movie 
Like, I can't remember. Like, I remember, like, Twitches, the Teen Witch movie. I will say Hocus Pocus is not Shakespeare. Of course not. So. But Bette Midler. Bette Midler is amazing in it. Sure like she is. It's one of those things where you don't go into it thinking you're going to be watching, like, an Academy Award winning film. You no, and I, I wasn't expecting to. This is going to be fun. Okay. Uh, production value is higher than Halloween Town, which I'm probably going to get somebody mad at me about that. Okay, I but the, also okay. love Halloween Town. The production value of Halloween Town was $5.68. Pretty much, <laughs> which is weird because they had Debbie Reynolds in it, and you're just going, Okay, was the production dirty? value higher than that Disney movie about the android smart house that becomes a woman and tries to kill everyone? So I've never seen that movie. I know what movie you're talking about. It's like Smart House or something. Yeah, something like that. But I've never seen it. Does it have a higher production value than that horrible Disney movie about the kid who finds out that he's Irish and a leprechaun and he still plays basketball? Probably about the same production value, if not less. Of Luck of the Irish. My younger cousin loved that movie when he was younger. And he would like hold us hostage and make us all watch it. And I've never come closer to like infanticide. Have you ever seen Darby O'Gill and the Little People? What? That's the first time I've ever said that normal instead of going, Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Um, it's a movie that Disney made with... Oh my god. Why is my brain... So this is something that's new, and I don't know if it's COVID-related or just depression-related. My brain just seizes up. Probably both. It loses names. It yes. loses dates. Yes. It loses correct terminology. Um, are you okay? Did you just break your glass? No, my straw like fell like Mufasa did. No! Oh my god, why would you say that? Sorry. Like, I felt like I was just like watching it in slow motion. That was just like some childhood trauma like, <laughs> left forward. It Not did, like, it, like, because it's one of the, hold on, it's, it's one of the no, bent straws. I understand. So it, like, I understand. <laughs> It's like, oh. it's like it sounds like Mufasa. What? <laughs> so this is what happens when Amanda and I haven't talked to each other in like a hot minute, and like there's wine involved, evidently. I'll tell you this. Uh, this was the fall after my mother passed away, and that is relevant to the story. Uh, I was babysitting a kid with a friend, and it's like, hey, let's watch a movie. And my friend's like, let's watch Lion King. And it's like, sure, whatever. And, like, I'm trying to be chill, and we get to the scene where, like, Simba's trying to wake up his dad, and I'm just, like, quietly sobbing. Just, like, she looks over, and there's, like, tears running down my face, and she's just, like, she's, like, oh, no, I'm a monster. It's, like, yeah, but I also said that it was okay, and it clearly wasn't okay, but it was just, uh, I was trying so hard to be chill, and I just couldn't. I was, like, and now I'm sad forever. Also, unrelated, I completely forgot that Hunchback in Notre Dame animated is like an hour and a half long. Because I genuinely peace out, I think, after like Hellfire. Oh, that song's really good, though. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. Like, I, I genuinely stop watching. I might dip back in for Court of Miracles, depending on how I'm feeling. But I honestly, after Hellfire, that movie's kind of over for me. I'm laughing because all of our listeners, I feel like, checked out 15 minutes ago, and now we just have like the couple people hanging out listening to. Yeah, us we have the stra- we have the stragglers, but this um, is where like Baron von Cheese Plate comes in, and like right. Jason and everybody just kind of chills out. 
Right. This is like the secret uh, podcast that only people of culture understand. Speaking of, um, next month, barring whatever state our country is still in. If we're still here. I have to say that, unfortunately. If we don't have a Chilean coup of our very own. I kind of hate being on antidepressants right now because, like, I feel like I should be more afraid but I can't be. Like, my brain is literally, like, not allowed to feel more dread right now. And I really feel like I'm not prepared. Because I'm reading articles about, like, people stockpiling food and buying guns and preparing for civil unrest. Walmart stopped selling guns and ammo in certain states this week. Yeah, which I never thought would happen. All the school shootings didn't motivate it. I didn't say that. No, I was sitting there the other day thinking about the uh, Columbine shooting when we were kids, and we were like, that's it? That's never going to happen again? That's never going to happen again. It's like, I can name like 15 more um, just off the top of my head. It has to be more than 15. It's way more. It's way more every year. Like... Parkland is probably the one that people know, and that's just because the kids and those kids can vote now. Yes, and they are, and they're pissed. And I gotta say, so we have early voting in Texas. They have it designed pretty heavily that unless you are extremely disabled or in a particular state, you cannot get a mail-in ballot. Mm -hmm. It's just highly discouraged in Texas. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we've had early voting, and Mm -hmm. we got an extra week of early voting. We've had more people vote during early voting. Mm-hmm. Than everyone who voted in 2016, mm-hmm. including election day. Mm-hmm. We have a ton of people that this is their first election. I am so proud of you for going mm-hmm. out and doing that. I know it's a scary time in the fact that you're going mm-hmm. in and saying, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I am so proud of people saying, I'm going to wear a mask and I'm going to go and do it. And I'm going to be polite. I'm going to get it done. Mm-hmm. Y'all are great. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that there's an entire Facebook group for just San Antonio where people got together and were like, this is the wait time here. This is the wait time here. You can't get in here. You can go in here. They're open till 10 tonight. They're open to this time. Mm-hmm. Um, that was amazing. That was amazing. Yeah. It was a, we're going to work together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of shit went down where mm-hmm. Texas was suddenly like, guess what? You get one ballot thing per County to put your vote votes in for mail-in votes. And people are going almost like our governor is a mini fascist. Sorry. Ooh, there are some things I could say about our governor, but we'd be here all night. Um, but night. yeah, so we have an anniversary next month. We do. Um, which includes an episode later in the month with a very, very special guest. We will announce further uh, when we get there. But first on the agenda is the nicest dystopia, Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. Which I've never read and I'm very excited about. There is a Crash Course episode. There is, yes. yes. There is a Crash Course episode. John Green's here to save us. We haven't talked about John Green in a while. You moved on from John Green to Aaron Mankey, so. <laughs> I still, okay. There's only one white man that you can appraise and critique at the same time per episode. Okay, John, <laughs> you helped me realize that I have OCD. You and the TV show Hoarders. That's how I realized I had OCD. <laughs> Not everything else in my life. It was Hoarders and John Green. 
Um, so thank you for helping me come to terms with my mental illness. I am now in a better place. And I hope that you're doing okay, because I know that, like, the pandemic has been really hard on you emotionally. I mean, Hank, too, but, like, John's more vocal about being sad. All right. We are all over the internet, which just kind of scares me now that this is going up on YouTube. Um, I have no fear. I do. Um, this wig protects me. <laughs> this wig protects you. This wig protects um, me. This is Amazon wig. We're on uh, Unfortunately Required Reading on Facebook. We are on Unfortunately RR on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately Required on Instagram, mm-hmm. where there'll be pictures of costumes and all that fun stuff. So send me a picture of your costume. Um, unfortunately Required Reading.com if you're like mm-hmm. me and you're lazy and you want everything in one spot. Mm-hmm. If you go to Unfortunately Required Reading.com, you can also find links to our Redbubble store and mm-hmm. bookshop.org where we have mm-hmm. our own little shopping area. Mm-hmm. You want to benefit us. Or mm-hmm. you can go to anchor.fm slash unfortunately required reading and you can donate like our cool sponsors. Yeah, um, you can join our already amazing uh, sponsors who help keep the metaphorical and physical lights on and ensure that our cheese plates forever runneth over. Um, this is a very, very scary time for a lot of people over the world, and we will do our best to continue to produce content that we certainly hope is doing some good. Um, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, I posted an image on our Facebook saying that uh, podcasting is great during this time because it feels like I have two best friends that are with me all the time. And I certainly, without sounding narcissistic, hope that that's true for us, is that I hope that if you are feeling lonely or in a dark place that you can listen to us rant about how much of a power bottom Draco Malfoy is and feel a little bit better. You know he is. I will say that podcasts, including ones that are obviously not our own and we have no affiliation with, mm-hmm. are a lot of what get me through a work day where I am in an office full of people who don't believe COVID-19 is dangerous. Hashtag same while I'm in my house and trying not to watch reruns of ER because I've done nothing but watch ER. I've learned so much about ER from you through the pandemic. Did you know that the doctor who plays Dr. Kovac is actually Croatian, as his character is, and he shows off his acting chops by reciting the 2B speech from Hamlet in Croatian as he did in actual acting school? Wow. I He's also an immortal vampire and still one of the hottest men I've ever seen. I cannot pronounce his name because it's Croatian, but the guy who plays Dr. Luka Kovac is genuinely one of the most attractive human beings I've ever seen. Amanda knows too much about ER. If you want to laugh and also be very uncomfortable as well, um, Staged on Hulu is amazing. Um, It's Michael Sheen and David Tennant. Mm Mm-hmm. And it, the whole concept is that they're practicing for a play that got shut down because of the pandemic, but they're continuing to practice so mm-hmm. that they can hit the ground running when this is all over. Mm-hmm. I'm laughing really, really hard. Um, I have way too much in common with Michael Sheen, including getting horribly enraged about the mistreatment of myself from others and still trying to get away with shit. Mm-hmm. Um I didn't realize how much Michael Sheen and I had in common. Quit making your glass, Mufasa. Um, I caught it this time. (laughs) 
I defied God. I caught it this time. Um, I swear oh to drunk, God. I'm not God. I think I think at this point in time we're just yeah we're gonna go guys. Uh, happy <laughs> Happy Halloween. Uh, stay safe and for the love of God, go read a book. <laughs>